If you have your Bibles with you or that favorite app, we'll be in Luke 18 this morning. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. And can I go ahead and say that these verses, they wrecked me this week. Uh, and I hope um, in the most positive sense they wreck you as well as we read them here in a second. Uh, so much depth to what Jesus is about to lay before us. And so I do know that his word will work in our hearts and our lives. At the same time, mm, they're rich but also powerful and they speak to our heart. If you found your spot, will you please stand for the reading of Christ's word this morning. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. May you hear the word of Christ. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning the gift that it is to us. It was not owed to us. It is sheer gift. And so as we now gather together as your church, we have sung our hymns of praise to you. Now open our ears and our hearts and our minds that we might receive the word that too is a gift. And so as we've come into this place, we've come with hurts and pains and maybe even arrogance. Maybe we've come into this place with so much pride that we need to hear this because this is a sermon for me. And so, Lord, may you break down those barriers and may you speak straight to us this morning. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This is our third week uh, looking into this next small thing of spiritual disciplines. And I've tried to build on each of them so that we can understand, excuse me, the second week, build on each of them so that they all flow together. Last week, we looked at the spiritual discipline of reading the scriptures. You know, what's the point? What's the end goal of why I read scripture? Why does it matter to my growth in Christ? And we examine that. This week, we're looking at the spiritual discipline of humility because I think they're greatly inter interconnected. When we read the scriptures, we need to come with a certain posture in mind. We need to come with a certain heart in mind as we read the scriptures. And as we move into next week, since it's Thanksgiving, a week and a half away, I hope you're already hungry. We're going to be next Sunday looking at thankfulness. And I do think all of those are interconnected. Reading of scripture, humility, and thankfulness. They are absolutely a trifecta of what it means to be a Christian and to live this Christian life that we are all exploring and examining in our own daily lives. So here's where I want to begin. 
I think we have to begin by clearing the air of what we're talking about when we uh, refer to this word of humility. I came across, across this quote a couple of um, months ago, and I highlighted it, I starred it. I wanted to make sure that I keep this one dear uh, to my own life. And it comes from a writer by the name of Karen Swallow Pryor. She writes this, Humility is thinking less about yourself, not thinking less of yourself. We need to keep that close as we look through the entirety of this message this morning. Because the first, the thinking less about yourself, is related to status or responsibilities that you might have. The latter is talking about value and worth. To, lead, to, to think less of yourself is talking about this dignity. Humility in Scripture is not a degrading or a downgrading of your dignity. Your essence or your nature as an image bearer does not decay. It doesn't disintegrate once it comes to practicing humility. It's not like it wearies away. In fact, it's the opposite. Once it comes to humility, when we practice this Christ-like humility, we honor and we actually affirm our dignity as image bearers. So humility is, and I, I could say that this is the nugget of truth this morning, humility is thinking less about yourself, not thinking less of yourself. Humility values our dignity as image bearers, but it also it demonstrates that our roles, that we have the statuses that we might have in society or in culture, a class that we might have that we fall into, according to a census data bureau, or maybe we're talking about some sort of clout or ranking or rating that we might give ourselves or a culture might give us. All of that is far less important than we might think that they are. And I think this is what Jesus is demonstrating specifically in this passage and uh, even more specifically this parable that he's telling. So when we minimize our statuses, our roles, our callings, we're actually maximizing our dignity as these finite little human beings who serve a very, very infinite and a very large and big God. So let's look and see what... Christ has for us this morning in this passage. Verse 9, he says this, or excuse me, Luke writing this about uh, Jesus. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down to everyone else, Jesus told this parable. In verse 9, Luke is getting to really the heart of the matter. We can say it in a lot of different ways. Arrogance, righteousness, this sort of righteous pomp, maybe even a conceitedness or pride. Regardless of which term that we're going to choose, you get what Luke is after and, and what Jesus is definitely aimed at in this parable, this telling of this story towards the Pharisees. These are just some of the descriptions that are characterized by the Pharisees and the tax collectors who are around him that Jesus will address again and again throughout the entirety of the Gospels. And notice what Luke says about these individuals they trusted in their own righteousness. And because of this arrogant attitude that they have, they look down on everyone else. I want you to see that connection between this arrogant attitude that is there and the looking down on everyone else. In fact, that word look down, your translations might be something slightly different. 
uh, but it gets to the same sense of the word. The Greek word, it means uh, that it is actually posturing someone below you and looking down on them. It's this physical eye movement downward. And in fact, Luke use it, uses it twice. He uses it once in Luke uh, 23, and then he'll use it again in his writing of Acts of the Apostles in Acts 4. So I want you to hear both of these passages. In Luke 23, he says this, Then when Herod, along with the soldiers, had treated him, Jesus, with contempt and ridiculed him, it's actually the Greek word of looking down. They put an elegant robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. That's the Luke 23 passage. Then in Acts 4, you have this, this quotation of this Old Testament verse about how Jesus is this cornerstone that is rejected. And so hear what Luke says when he writes this passage. This is the stone that was rejected, the one that was looked down on. By you, and it's pointing to the Jews, and the builders that has become now the cornerstone. Here's what I want us to catch. In both of these passages, first, Luke is referring to Jesus as the rejected one. In the Luke 23 passage, Jesus is the rejected one, the one looked down on by the Romans. But then you get into the Acts 4 passage, Jesus is the rejected one, the one looked down on by the Jews. And so when, when Luke introduces this word in Luke 18 verse 9, he's trying to alert us as listeners, as readers, to this profound truth. And here it is. When we display arrogance or some sort of haughtiness, or a ridicule, we're nothing more than modern-day Pharisees. That's why that passage wrecked me this week. When we look down on people, when we display arrogance, we're nothing more than modern-day Pharisees. There is a better way, according to Jesus, and that's why he then jumps into verses 10 through 14. I hope you notice that the parallels and the connections I brought up a second ago, though, brought up by Luke, that when the Romans rejected and ridiculed Jesus, that part, or even the Jews that rejected and ridiculed Jesus as well, notice how Jesus wants us now in this parable in verses 10 through 14 to connect with the humble tax collector, the one who postures himself with great humility before the very face of God. And he wants us to reject and to disconnect ourselves from the Pharisee in his righteousness and his arrogance. Here's what is happening in this parable. Jesus wants us to divorce ourselves from the arrogant real religiosity of the Pharisee. And then he wants us to empathize and identify with the humble, rejected, and the forsaken tax collector. You know why? Because Jesus was always the one who was the humbled. He was always the one that was rejected, and he was always the one that was forsaken. So you have in this passage this tax collector as this one who is this Christ figure in the story. And unfortunately, his hearers, and especially the Pharisees, miss it. 
they miss it. They're continuing in their own arrogance and pridefulness, and they miss the point of the passage and the point of the parable. So let's look at verses 11 through 12. The Pharisee stood by himself. Let's do a little character analysis with this guy. And he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. You can almost see him pointing, not like that guy. Because I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. I don't intend to be blunt or rude in this question, but here it is. Have you ever looked at something at the world and thought, that's pretty ugly, that's disgusting, that's appalling, repulsive? We, I think we all have. The response that we're supposed to have right now and, and the reaction that Jesus wants to have us to have about this Pharisee is that way. Something that's repulsive or disgusting. It's ugly and nasty. He wants his audience to find that the Pharisee's actions in prayer are gross and unpleasant. Not only just to hear about, but to actually see somebody acting that way. And if you look at the Pharisee in verse 11, it says first that he stood by himself. We quickly jump over that. This Pharisee goes to the temple and he stood by himself. Why does that matter? Why does Luke want us to pick up on that standing by oneself in this parable? Well, it's obviously first con uh, contrasted against the tax collector who is standing at a distance. That's definitely something we should pick up on the passage. But his standing by himself is a gesture that reveals his own spiritual state. Here's what I mean. He's trusting in his own self-righteousness. Here you have this Pharisee separating himself from the rest of the people in the temple. And then he goes over there and he speaks audibly. This is not his thoughts. He speaks audibly this prayer before the very face of God. One writer puts this. He would not have displayed such gross audacity as to say this prayer loudly so as to be heard by others such as the tax collector. That's why he stands by himself away from everyone else. And then notice what he says, the actual content of his prayer. He says this, Thank you that I am not like other people, evildoers, robbers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I have. We might write this off as just pompous. We might write it off as arrogant. Have you ever prayed like that? Ever had a thought pop in your head like that? I sure have, unfortunately. Thank you that I'm not like that person. It's more than just a description that Jesus is revealing about this overly religious Pharisee. Jesus is revealing the state and tendency of our hearts too. Not just that guy. You too. This Pharisee thanks God he isn't first like this person, that he, these people that he describes, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, tax collectors. But he also prays 
how dishonorable and unfortunate it would be to be like those people. Those people who commit horrible acts of theft or evil or some sort of cheating or stealing. But the tax collector doesn't, excuse me, the Pharisee doesn't even recognize the state of his own heart in the prayer. Then the Pharisee thanks God that he fasts and he tithes, he gives, just like any good religious person should. Man, that passage. How wonderful it is that the Pharisee, of course, doesn't commit these evil acts that, uh, uh, of, eat, uh, of, of stealing and cheating and, and other horrible acts, but he also does, he tells us, he commits daily, or excuse me, weekly, twice a week, these spiritual disciplines of fasting and giving. His hands are open. He's making sure that he is curbing his desires for something bigger and greater. But what's the problem with this? Luke tells us in the opening verse, they trusted and they were confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else around them. And so let me say it this way. And this is for you and this is certainly for me. Our fasting, our giving, our praise, our generosity towards our neighbors, our reading of the Bible, or whatever religious act you and I can think of, do not please God if our hearts are arrogant or prideful. That's, uh, that's so tough to swallow, isn't it? Because... God continued to speak to the prophets in this very same way. In Isaiah, God tells Isaiah, These people came near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules they have been taught. And then he goes to Amos about 200 years later, and he reveals this to Amos. I hate, and he tells Amos to tell the people of Israel this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, and I have no regard for them, away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your hearts, harps and Instead, let justice roll down like the river, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If the Scriptures teach you and I to look down on people and teach you and I to boast about our good works or even our spiritual status, then we've distorted both Jesus and the Scriptures. Jesus instead offers us a humble, better way if you look with me in verse 13, Jesus says this, But the tax collector, so there's this contrast about to happen, But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. According to the Jewish law in the first century, the tax collector couldn't bring himself near to the holiest places. There were three different holy places with the temple in that day. You had the holiest of holies. That's where only uh, the most righteous and the most holy of uh, priests could go into. And they usually went into it once a year for the Day of Atonement. Then you had a little bit outer space where the Jews could go into in order to worship Yahweh. 
And then you had an even further outer space where God-fears or people who um, trusted Yahweh, but they weren't Jewish. It seems as if, in this case, the tax collector is in that third space. He's not even anywhere close to the holiest of holy places. He could not even see himself getting nowhere near this place because of how he saw himself. As one writer notes this, the tax collector is so deeply under the impression of utter unworthiness before God that he remains standing far into the unholiest of parts and does not even venture to raise his eyes. Church, without humility, you and I cannot beat our breasts. We will never recognize our brokenness and our sin without humility. In short, humility gives us a clear and right perspective of who we are. We have rebellious hearts. We have this tendency to run away when God speaks. We have this tendency to run away when we know that Christ is the safest and the most beautiful place to be. But we run. But when we're met with this grace and mercy that Christ extends to us, our rebellion turns into repentance, just like we see in this tax collector. And it is through this parable that I think we have to accept that growth in humility is a posture, not a position. The Pharisee completely misunderstood this. He thought that loving God was about a position that he held. The tax collector, though, understood Jesus' own message of posturing yourself before the very face of a holy God. He acknowledged that loving God and growing in His ways meant posturing His heart before the face of God. So let's bring this to a close. When we look closely at the Pharisee and the tax collector, I think there's one major application that you find here in this passage. The Pharisee glances at God, but contemplates himself. But the tax collector glances at himself, but contemplates God. You see the difference? It's huge. Because the route towards humility... This spiritual discipline that we're called to practice before others, it requires a glancing at ourselves constantly and, and a contemplation of who God is, what He has done, and what He continues to do in our lives every single day. As soon as we begin glancing at God and contemplating ourselves, we cultivate a heart posture of arrogance and pride. And from this arrogant posture, we measure ourselves against others. Isn't that easy? As soon as arrogance and pride begins to build up, you know what you do? You begin measuring yourself against other people. Look how I'm not like them. Look how, where I am in life and where they're at. Because we have contemplated ourselves and we build this arrogant posture in our own hearts. But unfortunately, we lie to ourselves that we're so much greater and we're so much better than any other person. And if there is an attitude and disposition that is dangerous and toxic to the Christian life, it is certainly pride and it is certainly self-entitlement. 
both toxic to the very Pharisee who prayed this prayer and lived this life. The world doesn't, church. The world doesn't need more examples of arrogance. We have plenty. We have plenty. But it certainly needs more examples of humility and meekness. I'm convinced that you and I, we cannot grow with our walk with Christ without humility. I am certainly convinced of that. So how do we do this? How does Hickory Grove, how do churches deepen into Christ's humility? Here are a few ways. First, humility mimics the life of Christ, whereas pride mocks the life of Christ. I think you see that in that passage with uh, Luke 23 where the Roman soldiers are mocking the very life and person of Christ. Second, humility serves whereas pride enjoys being served. Third, humility looks up whereas pride looks down. Fourth, humility is willing to suffer whereas pride cherishes safety and stability. And fifth, humility thinks less about oneself, not less of oneself. Hickory Grove, here's what I would push us in practicing humility this week. Not just any humility, a Christ-like humility. Look for places where you can practice this in your homes, in your workplace, in your communities. Here you go. May you mimic the life of Christ. May you serve willingly. May you look up often. May you suffer for Christ's sake. And may you think less about yourself, not think less of yourself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you again that we have been given an opportunity to open your word so that you might speak to your church. And as it was said at the beginning of the sermon, it is one of those passages that, that can wreck our hearts. But it wrecks our hearts because we have seen our own arrogance, and I have seen it this week. And so, Father, forgive me in the ways that I treat others, the ways that I even treat my own family, and maybe even treat myself. And so, Lord, may you continue to work in Hickory Grove's life. Because I see so many incredible examples of humility in this church. That you have people here who are ready and willing to serve no matter what. On Wednesday night, some who are not worried about eating first, but actually eating last. And they're serving drinks. They're doing just the smallest things in order to show that your humility is worthy that they want to be the last, not the first. And that's what we need. We need the church to be a people of last, not a people of first. And so give us opportunities. As we prayed last week, and we almost dared you, Christ, to open up opportunities, may you do it again this week. We dare you to open these opportunities so that we can exemplify and exude your own humility wherever you have called us to be. Give us the strength to be humble. May you also give us the wisdom to be ready for that moment of not only seeking humility, but practice, practicing it at well. So Lord, show us 
those many times that we can serve our families, that we can love our neighbors, and that we can love our community through the service of them and do this, not for ourselves, but for the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we thank you for this time of being able to break the bread of your scriptures. Now, may we continue feasting and marinating on it. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.